Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Verdict? You have, sir? It's time for the verdict. Now, we'll talk all day if you want it. Objection. All right, settle, settle down, everybody. Settle, settle. With Nate Lucas on 590 The Fan. 2 p.m. hour here on 590 The Fan, 590TheFan.com. Taking you up till 3 p.m. this afternoon. We'll have some fun. 855-282-8255 if you'd like to join in on the conversation. And at 2.30, we will uh, bring in Jake Koenig and Justin Graham from Ball Watching as City prepares to take on Orlando. Uh, second game since resuming out of League's Cup. So uh, we'll get the details and their reaction from the nice win uh, over the weekend on Sunday at home against Austin. Previewed that a little bit. We'll get their breakdown and also preview this upcoming game against Orlando with them coming up at 2.30. Cardinals, of course, begin a series tonight in Philadelphia. And Cardinals, as I predicted yesterday, are going to have a tough go against the Philadelphia Phillies. The Phillies are a team that has a, an offense that is worth watching. They are in second place in the... Um, America uh, National League East, but I mean their lineup is certainly no joke. Uh, looks like their lineup's already out. They're going to throw Christopher Sanchez tonight, who's one in three with a three point three six up against Miles Michaelis, who really has been kind of a disappointment. We'll talk about his game log here in a minute, but uh, Phillies lineup will go Kyle Schwarber, who is hitting all of a buck eighty four, and he was brought up in an article that I was reading in the New York Post, which I'll discuss uh, a little bit here coming up as well. But he's hitting a buck eighty four, but he's got thirty four home runs. So Kyle Schwarber, I mean, a buck eighty four hitting leadoff in the big leagues, but because he's got thirty four home runs, that is the splash. He leads off Trey Turner, who was an off season acquisition, a really good player, but well below his career averages. Only two fifty this season with a three on three oh three on base. He had a moment earlier this season at Citizens Bank Ballpark where the fans, in a sign of solidarity, decided to give him a standing ovation. Uh, Trey Turner hitting second, playing short. He was rumored, remember you go back, Greg Amsinger from MLB Network predicted at the end of the season last year that the Cardinals were going to go all in for Trey Turner. And then they decided that they were good at shortstop, and that's what has led uh, this team to now promoting Mason Wynn at shortstop after experiencing the Taylor Motter um, ordeal throughout the course of this season. So they really didn't have a shortstop. They had a shortstop that they had paid in Paul DeYoung, who wasn't quality, who wasn't good enough to you know handle the shortstop position uh, from an offensive standpoint. 
And then they tried Edmund and Donovan at certain points. Both those guys spent time on the injured list. You had to throw Donovan out in center, or pardon me, uh, Edmund out in center field, Donovan out in the outfield multiple times, both of those guys dealing with arm injuries. And uh, so you really didn't have a shortstop. But the Phillies went out and signed Trey Turner. And maybe no surprise that uh, Trey Turner and the Phillies headed to the postseason Cardinals are not. But Turner will hit second. Bryce Harper, who did not start the year with the Phillies because he was coming off of the Tommy John surgery, uh, he hits third, still not playing in the field, but he's their DH, and he's having a hell of a season. 299 overall, 392 on base, 12 bombs, 47 runs batted in. Bryce Harper, another one that if you go back in history, maybe one that got away from the St. Louis organization. They were rumored to be at least interested. And the Harper camp, I think, was interested too, but the Cardinals didn't want to pony up for Harper. Nick Castellanos, Cardinals have seen plenty of him over the year, uh, years of his tenure with the Cubs for a bit, but Castellanos hitting cleanup for Philadelphia. Bryson Stott, this is a guy who has come onto the scene. Remember, Bryson Stott was brought up last season to play in the uh, play middle infield for the Phillies, but he couldn't hit worth a whole lot. But this year, different tune for Stott. He's hitting almost 300, 297. And he's also hit 12 homers, 51 RBIs, and 24 stolen bases. I like Stott. Even in the World Series, uh, he put together some pretty good at-bats against Astros pitching. And you'll watch Stott. No no doubt he's a good ball player. And he could be a, a pesky player in the lineup for the Phillies over the next three games against the Cardinals. Alec Bohm, uh, their third baseman, he hit sixth tonight. Brandon Marsh in center field hitting seventh. Jake Cave, don't know a whole lot about him. He's hitting eighth and playing first base. That's really the weak spot, I think, for the Phillies all season long has been how they have uh, tried to patch the loss of Reese Hoskins, their first baseman, who has been out since spring training after a devastating knee injury. So he will play first base hitting eighth, and Garrett Stubbs will handle the catching duties hitting ninth for Philadelphia. Miles Michaelis, 6-9 with a 4.55 ERA in 27 starts for St. Louis. Not a great season for Miles Michaelis. Didn't get off to a great start. He's been, he had a couple of, you know, maybe a month and a half where he was pretty good, looked like he was turning it around. And then you go back to that Cubs game, the whole fiasco with Ian Happ, and then he plunks um, the next hitter. I mean, the whole thing spun out of uh, hand quickly for for Miles Michaelis. But coming off a year in which he was 12-13 and with a 3.29 ERA in 33 games. Good season last year. This season, not so much. And when you look at his splits, let's just go through them quickly for Miles Michaelis. So uh, May was good. 3-0, 3-0, actually really good. Six starts, 1.89 ERA, 38 innings. Uh, he was dealing in the month of May, but boy, did it go south from there. June was a brutal month for Miles Michaelis. 0-4 with a 6.07 ERA. And really, if you're the Cardinals, you look at the month of June and into July, where this season just completely derailed. I forget the exact timestamp or the weeks that, that that went along, but they went something like a seven-week period where they did not win a series, which was just downright embarrassing. And at that point, you could see where the season was going. You were plugging guys in all over the place defensively, 
And uh, when you're chasing the game and the game's not rewarding you and then you continue to throw out guys like Adam Wainwright, the different starters that they've put out to get hit like a pinata all season long, it is where it is right now at 56 and 72. So the month of June was brutal for Michaelis, 0-4 with a 6.07. He got it back on track a little bit in July uh, where he went 2-1, and but still a 4.18 ERA. That's not great for a guy that you're looking to produce at the top end of your rotation. A guy who's got an ERA over four, that wouldn't exactly be who you draw up. But he started to turn it around, but August has been brutal again for Michaelis. He's 0-3 with a 5.40 in four starts in the month of August. So while Michaelis is under contract and you look at him to be somewhat of an anchor for your rotation... I mean, you're talking about a guy that when you really peel back the onion and evaluate his season, you can look at a handful of starts in which he was really good. And it would be the last start he made in April in San Francisco, and then he carried that through the month of May against the Angels, against the Cubs, Boston, Dodgers, Cincinnati, Kansas City. He was good in all of those starts. He started the month of June decent, even though he began to show some signs of wear where he allowed 10 hits over five innings against the Pittsburgh Pirates. And then things got ugly. Bad start against Cincinnati. The Mets teed off on him. Uh, Washington was a good start, but you mix that decent start against Washington in between three starts of Cincinnati, the Mets, and Houston, where you go a combined um, 16 innings, and you, you give up 23 hits and 16 earned runs. I mean, that is just not good enough. So Michaelis, who's getting paid a lot of money, it's easy to you know look at Wainwright, and it's easy to uh, pin this on Libertor and Steven Matz at times this season, but Miles Michaelis has been just as inconsistent throughout the entire campaign. And for a guy who's under contract and you're looking at to next season to be at least – a number two, I would think. You know, he's penciled in. Right now he's your number one because you don't have anybody. But hopefully you go into next season with some other arms. I don't know what those arms are going to be. I know that we've discussed the Blake Snells. We've discussed the Aaron Nolas. Other guys who have been out, who might be out there. Uh, Julio Urias from the Dodgers. But right now, your, your main guy going into the rotation for 24 is Miles Michaelis. And he's got to be a lot more consistent. A lot more consistent. He's coming off a bad start against the Mets. Four and two-thirds, seven hits, seven earned runs. And Michaelis, like many on this pitching staff, is one of the guys who all season long, when he evaluates his own performance, he sits there and goes, yeah, well, you know, blue pit to left, blue pit to right, bunt here, and then, oh, yeah, that three-run home run, I just left that pitch up over the middle. So it's these excuses that these pitchers have come up with time and time again where they figure out a reason to sort of weasel their way out of just acknowledging that they're 6-9 and nine with a 4.5 ERA and 27 starts. And that's exactly what Miles Michaelis has done this season. So while it's easy to sit here and, and sort of, you know, maybe talk about his great month of May, 3-0 with a 1.89 ERA, that does not offset all of the other games that he's had this year where he's just been torched. I mean, 167 hits he's allowed in 152 innings. Opponents this season, in the month of uh, May, hit 304 off him. 
in the month of July, 325 against him. Even in August, where he's been you know, good, his numbers overall been good, they're still hitting 271 against him. So he's not missing a whole lot of bats, and that's a problem. So he traditionally, because he where he is in the rotation, is going up against better teams because you're going to try to match him up against the stiffest comp- competition. But all in all, a guy who's making the kind of money that Miles Michaelis has, 6-9 and nine with a 4.55 ERA, I want more return on that, and we'll see how he fares against a Philadelphia team tonight. So I think this is going to be a very tough go for the Cardinals, the Phillies, um, still technically vying for a postseason spot, but they are looking pretty good right now because they've got a lead in the wild card. Uh, the Phillies right now at 69-58, and two-and-a-half game lead, but really the National League wild card is where the entertainment is at. Saw a game last night between Arizona and Cincinnati. Arizona is on to something. They've won five in a row. They had a little rough spell towards the end of the first half going into the All-Star break, and then they started rough, and that was predominantly because they were going up against the Dodgers. They played the Dodgers a lot going into the All-Star break, and I think they were the first series out of the All-Star break. And that's where Arizona began to fall. They they began their kind of free fall for just a bit. But Arizona looks pretty good. I heard Tori Lovello on with MLB Network Radio driving into the studio today. And he seems pretty confident in what they've got. So, whereas San Francisco right now has been hit with a string of injuries in the rotation, I think Arizona is starting to showcase that uh, they're they're not going anywhere quietly. And if the season ended today, Arizona would be in the playoffs occupying that second wild card spot. Right now, Philadelphia, two-and-a-half game lead in the wild card. Cubs playing good baseball. Uh, they've won two in a row. And they've got a half-game lead over Arizona. But it would be Philadelphia, Cubs, and Arizona right now on their on the way in. San Francisco and Cincinnati a half a game back. And Miami, which has scuffled a little bit, they are two games back. But that is the race. I mean, that is really, if you're looking to watch entertaining baseball, even with football starting this uh, coming up Saturday, that is where it's at. The National League wildcard race is certainly where the fun is around Major League Baseball. For the Philadelphia Phillies, just looking at what they've done here recently, I mean, this is a team, if you go back and look at their schedule so far, they were not good out of the gates. And maybe you could say they had a little bit of a World Series hangover. Um, You know, Rob Thompson coming back after he was uh, put in there uh, when he was the interim manager, it's leading them all the way to the, uh, the the World Series last season. He gets the job in the offseason. You're hit with the bad news that you lose Reese Hoskins. But Dave Dombrowski, um, the type of leader he is, what did he do? Well, he went out and immediately got uh, Trey Turner in the offseason. He knew what their weakness was, bolstered some of that um, that rotation, which was clearly underwhelming in the World Series. They got upstaged by the Houston Astros a year ago in the World Series. But this is a uh, this is a team that has really begun to play pretty good baseball. And so far, when you just look at their month-to-month win-loss record, 15 and 13 in April, 10 and 16 in May. So they actually went into the month of June under 500. And what have they done since? Well, how about a month of June? They go 18 and 8. 
14 and 11 in July, 12 and 9 here in the month of August. And the Phillies are coming off a series where they took two out of three against the San Francisco Giants at home. Uh, they had a disappointing road trip where they got beat up. They went two and four against Toronto and Washington. Toronto scuffling a little bit. But now uh, back at home, they won two and three against the San Francisco Giants. They got the Cardinals for the next three and then the Angels coming to town to wrap up the month of August. And I think the Phillies are a team that will certainly make some noise in the postseason. But we'll see what happens. You know, going back to my point about Kyle Schwarber, you read this article in the New York Post by Phil Mushnick today where he talks, uh, the headline is, Sports Keeps Barreling Towards Its Inevitable End. It's kind of a dark column you could argue, but he talks about some of the problems facing baseball right now. He goes, it's not a cure, it's more like end-of-life care. Keep the patient as comfortable as possible. Apply pain-easing medicine, allowing them to slowly drift away, no longer to suffer the unbearable pain. I told you, it's a little dark. He says, what's this doing in a sports column? It's the equivalent of watching sports fade to darkness in the grip of the grim, grim reaper. There's nothing we can do about it, so why fight it? He starts with the example of Giancarlo Stanton, who was paid $218 million. He's now batting 204, And as he writes, often appears to not give a rat's rental gland about winning, be it through jogging or walking to the closest base or through striking out, which this season he's done 30% of his at-bats. To adopt a blank and vacant expression is an essential requisite to enduring Giancarlo Stanton syndrome. You don't want to be diagnosed with Giancarlo Stanton syndrome. And he brings up Kyle Schwarber. And Kyle Schwarber is a player that is hitting 184, but he's hit 34 home runs. And that is where the game is at right now. Now, they've tried to implement different things, bring in speed, make the bases larger, put the pitchers on account, or pitch clock, speed up the game, put more balls in play. But just think about these games. He writes, games that in late August would normally be considered vital aren't played, they're played at, and played to the tune of Beethoven's Funeral March. He goes, Saturday, five Brewers pitchers struck out 18 Rangers batters in Arlington, Texas. Two-thirds of the home team's outs were strikeouts. The next day in Minneapolis, 16 of the Twins' 24 outs they made, uh, they beat the Pirates in eight and a half innings, came on strikeouts. 16 of the 24 Twins' outs. The Minnesota DH that day was Jorge Polanco. He was the designated hitter. What did he do? He struck out all four times. And as uh, Mushnick writes, he was likely fixated only on hitting home runs as per analytics, the accent on anal. In Houston on Saturday, 14 Mariners struck out against seven pitchers. In total, there were 24 strikeouts against 15 pitchers. In the White Sox 5-4 win over the Mariners in 10 innings on Tuesday, 29 strikeouts in 10 innings. The DH for the White Sox, Eloy Jimenez, (laughs) <laughs> who he writes, stylishly foolish, uh, wore his cap to one side. He went 0 for 4 with three strikeouts. And here's the point where he gets to Kyle Schwarber. Kyle Schwarber is primarily the Phillies' leadoff man. 
in spite of batting 184 and striking out 165 times in 461 at-bats. That is 36% of the time. But hey, he's hit 34 home runs. Plus, he walks a lot. So you sit there with dulled expressions to see if he hits a home run, which he has done 34 times in 126 games. And that, in today's game, would mean he's considered good at it. He's batting a productive 184. So Mushnick finishes. He goes, soon it will all go away. We'll succumb to our troubles, or they'll disappear behind a streaming paywall. Either way, out is out. Rest in peace. Baseball does have a problem. They do have a problem. You know, there was a game last night on FS1. Anybody know that? That was the game I watched between the Reds and the Philadelphia Phillies. And in fact, I got so bored by the game, I decided to tune into Hard Knocks and watch episode three of Hard Knocks. What does that tell you? Kevin and I were just moments ago talking about when a baseball game is on right now, you're more fixated to tune into the NFL preseason. The NFL preseason exhibition game where you've got third and fourth stringers competing. Starters hardly even compete anymore. Coaches have to basically beg their guys to go in and start the third game, which will be uh, this weekend. And it's like some big deal that Aaron Rodgers was going to start a preseason game only because he hasn't done that since 2018. But that product is currently more inviting or more entertaining than a baseball game in late August. That is a problem. But hey, the commissioner is doing all he can. They're playing games at a Little League field. Uh, the batter, who uh, uh, Stott, Bryson Stott, he had a bat that resembled a pencil during that Little League game last Sunday night. So that's growing the game, they'll tell you. Now, what's killing the game is that all of those strikeout numbers that I just read through. 18 hitters in a game between the Brewers and the Rangers. 16 of the Twins, 24 outs between Minnesota and the Pirates. Houston and Seattle, 14 Striking out 24 total in the game against 15 different pitchers. 29 strikeouts in the game between Mariners and White Sox. Kyle Schwarber being considered a good leadoff hitter despite batting 184 with 165 strikeouts. That is seemingly what the game doesn't want to address. And players like Schwarber, players like Eloy Jimenez, players like Jorge Polanco, those players continuously are given contracts by teams because when you put their numbers through the analytical spin, it showcases that, oh, well, Schwarber's going to hit 34 home runs, so that could lead to X amount of wins. Does it grow the game? Would you rather go to a game and watch, say... Ronald Acuna Jr., which might be a bad example because he's the MVP of the league. Or would you rather go watch a guy like Eloy Jimenez or Kyle Schwarber hit 184 and hit 34 home runs? When you go to Major League Baseball's app and you click on their highlights and you roll through their stories, or you watch ESPN SportsCenter at night and you watch highlights from a Dodgers-Giants game, Believe me, folks, they're not showcasing the pitcher that is dealing seven innings of scoreless ball. They're showing the light tower home run. It's basically 
all Major League Baseball highlights are home runs. If you watch MLB Network, it's a little bit better. They'll at least show you, you know, the best defensive plays of the night. They'll show you a guy who's dealing. They'll actually go in depth and showcase why a guy is getting hitters out. They'll show you good defense. They'll show you why uh, a strategy in a certain ball game, even though it's far and few between, why it was paramount to a team winning a game. They'll show you those things. But by and large, it's a home run fest. And that just doesn't quite do it for me. So that's where baseball is at. Okay, hard knocks last night. Did watch it. Um, Look. Robert Sala, first of all, I didn't realize he was a father of seven kids. That is incredible to me. And at one point, his son is on the field having a catch with Aaron Rodgers, and he tells Damian Woody, who is an ESPN analyst, he goes, look, my son has no idea how good he's got it. He's over there catching passes from Aaron Rodgers. I mean, how many kids get the opportunity to do that in their life? And this kid gets to do it just on a normal afternoon hot day up in New York fielding catches from Aaron Rodgers. But I've really grown to like Robert Sala. And I I don't think I would have said that prior to this hard knock series. He comes off as as someone who um recognizes what he has in terms of defeating the story of what it's been. With the New York Jets, this is an organization that has mostly done a lot of losing. He's been calling out his team. They showcase Randall Cobb, and I watched the final game when the Packers and Lions played Week 17 last year, and Rodgers and Cobb walked off the field together, and they shared that moment. They were arm-in-arm as they walked off the field. And Randall Cobb says, I thought that was honestly Aaron Rodgers' last game. I thought he was going to retire. I thought I was going to retire. And then Rodgers winds up in New York. Cobb comes back. And Cobb has been a vocal leader in that wide receiver room. That's very obvious. At one point, the wide receivers coach goes over and says, all right, guys, what did you think of practice? And nobody really says much. And Cobb goes, I was just talking with eight, and – let me tell you, eight doesn't have a go-to receiver right now. Eight doesn't have a go-to receiver. So the accountability in that room is very evident. And Randall Cobb being a voice of reason there, a veteran presence for some of those young receivers. Now, I think Garrett Wilson's going to be an absolute star this year with the Jets. I think Aaron Rodgers and Garrett Wilson is going to be a tandem that teams in the AFC are not going to enjoy watching. Those two are going to go to work together. And so will McCole Hardman. You know, McCole Hardman was a draft pick by the Chiefs, played with Patrick Mahomes. The Chiefs, at the time, had Tyreek Hill uh, sort of in that role as slot receiver, doing all the things, and then McCole Hardman sort of graduated that spot. But now with the New York Jets, I think McCole Hardman is a very talented receiver. In terms of route running, I don't know about all that, but he is a speedster. So between Garrett Wilson kind of being the outside presence, McCole Hardman maybe on the inside, and working a deep running back room with the addition of Dalvin Cook, I think they're going to have some weapons offensively. This Jets team, I'm telling you, I'm, I could be dead wrong. Now, I think their schedule is tough. And not, I don't think their schedule is tough. Their schedule is tough. 
the New York Jets are going to play more primetime games out of the gates. Right out of the gates, they play the Bills on Monday Night Football. That's going to be a tough game. At least it's at home for New York. But then they play Game of the Week against the Cowboys on CBS. That's in the late afternoon slot. They've got the Patriots at home. I think the Patriots are going to be much improved now that they got Bill O'Brien back as their offensive coordinator, and they're going to uh, actually have a have an offensive coordinator a year after the Joe Judge Matt Patricia debacle. That won't be an easy game. Patriots Bill Belichick has run roughshod over the New York Jets franchise during his tenure with the Patriots. Then you go back the next week. You got a Sunday night game against the Chiefs at home. You go to Denver, and then you're at home against the NFC champion Philadelphia Eagles, and that's another game of the week on Fox. you got an afternoon game against the Giants, and then you've got back-to-back primetime games, Chargers in Las Vegas. So the, the Jets are going to be frequent. They're going to be frequent flyers on primetime football. Monday night, game of the week on Sunday against the Cowboys in the afternoon slot. NBC, Sunday Night Football against the Chiefs in Week 4. Fox, America's Game of the Week against the Eagles. Giants, an afternoon game. And then back-to-back, you got Monday Night Football against the Chargers, and you've got Raiders on the road, Sunday Night Football. That is a very rude awakening. That is a tough schedule. Bills, Cowboys, Patriots, Chiefs, Broncos, Eagles, Giants, Chargers, Raiders. If this thing goes south out of the gates, that could be a rough look. All the hype, hard knocks, everything going on. I'll be intrigued to see how they get going. But as I've said, the biggest storyline to me is how Zach Wilson continues to grow under the tutelage of Aaron Rodgers. And I actually think this kid has been given a lifeline by getting to work with Aaron Rodgers. I've said it before. I'll keep saying it. The difference between Rodgers knowing the inside-out details of the offense compared to Zach Wilson, who is still trying to learn footwork and when to get rid of the football, two-step, three-step drop, things that you can get away with in college versus can't get away in the NFL. I mean, the fact that he was operating this offense as the number two pick in the draft out of 2021, there is a reason why the Jets have been terrible offensively. But I think Wilson's going to turn it around. I really do. I actually think Wilson is going to figure this out. He'll sit on the bench for a while, and who knows, maybe he'll be forced into action if Rodgers gets hurt, but hopefully not, knock on wood, being a fan of Aaron Rodgers. And then Wilson could come back and maybe play for New York for the next decade or go somewhere else and have success. But I think this is saving his career. I actually think Zach Wilson would have been out of the NFL without Aaron Rodgers going to the Jets in the next two to three seasons, and instead he's been given a lifeline. And I think that's pretty cool. So that dynamic is great. They're very different. I mean, Rodgers is what? Close to 40? Is Aaron Rodgers 40? What is Aaron? Aaron Rodgers is 39. He'll turn 40 in December. The personalities couldn't be farther from each other. I mean, Rodgers is old school. He's out there picking up the grass, smelling the grass, very into it, uh, almost gets one-on-one with the elements. 
Zach Wilson is all about putting the headband on. Does the towel look good on my right ass cheek? Do I have the sleeve on? How's my hair look? I mean, he's a pretty boy. He went to BYU. He's basically, I mean, he, 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 he's got all the athleticism in the world. He is a true, I mean, he is a look good quarterback kind of guy. All right? Most people, as a man, would sit there and go, God, I would, you gave me uh, Zach Wilson's looks. I'd probably be hunting down the Cougars, too. Although, Zach Wilson, I guarantee you women flaunt over this guy. Clearly, they do. But I believe he's been given second wind as a quarterback. That's a tough market to be bad in, in New York, and I think he's been given a second uh, second life in the NFL. This, this uh, third week, they did a few more things um, on a few guys who I'm not sure if they're going to make the team. Smart, a, an outside linebacker who's been in the league for, I think, eight seasons, seven or eight seasons, a little cup of coffee with the Rams, the Browns, different teams. But uh, he's got his work cut out. And then this running back who he was a draft pick by the by the Jets this year, Izzy, who I can't say his last name, but he got hurt in their last preseason game against the Buccaneers, took a, a shot knee on knee, and had to come out of the game. He was on crutches afterwards, but it appears he avoided a major injury. But good story there. And a great little part, part with uh, Randall Cobb and his wife, who they announced is expecting their third child. They're at a little park and just talking, reminiscing on time, really successful years in Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers and then migrating to New York. So some good stuff there. I could do without the rookie sort of sing-along joke stuff. That doesn't quite do it for me. And Robert Sala sort of cursing every other second. I don't know about all that, but all in all, I think the Jets are going to be legit, man. And maybe I'm maybe I'm drinking the Kool-Aid, but I don't know. I don't know about that. I'll be intrigued to see. And, and Aaron Rodgers is going to get some time this uh, Saturday. The Jets have a game against the Giants. So a little preseason game there in East Rutherford at MetLife. He did have two preseason games last night. Uh, Pittsburgh Steelers over the Atlanta Falcons yesterday, 24-0. Steelers continue to look pretty good. Um, Kenny Pickett in year two, I think is going to be much, much improved. And Pickett went 4-486 yards, leading a scoring drive yesterday. Najee Harris also had a little time in the game, and he was able to get things done for the Steelers. And then uh, Indianapolis 27-13 over the Philadelphia Eagles. And Anthony Richardson, who's going to be the week one starter for the Colts uh, yesterday, he did some nice things on the ground. Five carries, 38 yards, six of 17 passing. Look, it's going to be that's going to be a transition for the first year starter out of the University of Florida. I mean, he only played one year at Florida, and you're asking him to now start in the National Football League. And oh, by the way, you're asking him to do that with Jonathan Taylor, one of the best running backs in the game, now requesting a trade. And it looks like the Colts are finally fielding offers for. Uh, Jonathan Taylor after he got into the spat with Jim Irsay and the whole running backs ordeal. So I don't know what's going to happen there. But if they do indeed trade Jonathan Taylor, life for Anthony Richardson just got that much tougher. I mean, you have an offense where you got Anthony Richardson, dual threat quarterback, and Jonathan Taylor in the backfield. To me, that's something that defenses would not want to be playing. 
But looks like right now Colts at least will open the season without uh, Jonathan Taylor. We'll see how all that goes. But Hard Knocks, again, has been a good, good run. Good run. And I'm a little behind on that. I'm usually a day behind. I'm 48 hours behind, but I watched it last night. It was pretty good. Pretty good. And Robert Sala is coming off as a guy who I think is quality head coach in the National Football League. Had you asked me that at the end of last season, I would have said no. And maybe I'm sounding like the people that bought into Dan Campbell after hard knocks with the Lions last season. I'm still not a Dan Campbell fan. I did not watch the Lions hard knocks, but perhaps I'm a hypocrite. Hard for me to buy into the Lions. But quite frankly, Jets have been just as big of a losing franchise, so maybe I'm wrong about that too. I don't know. Time will tell. We'll take a break. When we come back, Jake Koenig, Justin Graham, we'll talk a little city. They're back in action against Orlando, and uh, we will discuss when we return. This is the verdict on 590 The Fan. This is 590 The Fan. 